Garden of Eden, Ark of the Covenant, Tabernacle, Temple, Tom, Tabitha, Trent. What do these all have in common? Well, it depends if Tom, Tabitha and Trent are Christians. Because if they are, these are all dwelling places of the Most High God. Hallelujah. This is what we were talking about last week, this crazy truth that is true. That because of Jesus dying and rising again and ascending to the Father, he could send the gift of the Father, the Holy Spirit. And wonderfully and, and extraordinarily, we who would put our faith in Christ would be the dwelling place of God. The presence of God would be here in our hearts. We're in a series which we've just uh, finished the Bible reading for, 5240, but we're still going uh, doing 10 messages through Luke and Acts. And we're following the theme of multiplication. And so last week, uh, looking at Luke and Acts, last week in Acts, we were looking at the Holy Spirit who was given at Pentecost. Today, we are looking at what the presence of God in the hearts of believers accomplishes. We talked about it a little bit last week, but we're going to dig into it a bit more today. There are 28 chapters in the book of Acts. We have tried, Lord willing, to spend five messages, five Sundays, to cover these 28 days. So today we're going to look at this little section, if you can see, chapters 2 to 5, not in detail, but in a, in, in a sense like a survey, overviewing what do we learn about the church born? What was it like? What can we expect in the end of chapter 4, if you have your Bibles with you, um, please turn to chapter 4 of Acts and in verse 32. All the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of their possessions was their own, but they shared everything they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And God's grace was so powerfully at work in them all that there were no needy persons among them. For from time to time, those who owned land or houses sold them, brought the money from the sales and put it at the apostles' feet. And it was distributed to anyone who had need. What an amazing situation. There is such an awareness of the imminent return of Jesus that people are not thinking that much as individuals. It reminds me of what's happening in Ukraine at the moment. I was reading last night about Odessa, where there are often tourists hanging out in trendy cafes. They're all shut, and people are down digging the sand out of the beach and putting them in sandbags. There is this sense of, we're in this together, and we may not live much longer. So all that matters is the cause. And you can pick up that sense in the early church. Um, they're selling properties and they're giving to those who are in need because it's like Jesus is returning. This is all that matters. And then we're told about a married couple, Ananias, who is the bloke, and his wife Sapphira. So let me read a little bit more from Acts chapter 5. A man named Ananias, together with his wife Sapphira, also sold a piece of property. With his wife's full knowledge, he kept back part of the money for himself but brought the rest and put it at the apostles' feet. Then Peter said, Ananias, how is it that Satan has so filled your heart that you have lied to the Holy Spirit? 
there's a sense of the Holy Spirit being so present in the people that to lie to the people was as though they were lying to the Holy Spirit. And you've kept for yourself some of the money you received from the land. Didn't it belong to you before it was sold? And after it was sold, wasn't the money at your disposal? What made you think of doing such a thing? You have not lied just to human beings, but to God. When Ananias heard this, he fell down and died. And great fear seized all who heard what had happened. Then some young men came forward, wrapped up his body and carried him out and buried him. About three hours later, his wife came in. And if you've read the story before, the same thing basically happens to her and she loses her life. What does the presence of God, living in human beings as the new temple, because that's what it is, the new temple, it used to be a tabernacle, the Ark of the Covenant in the tabernacle and in the temple. Now the presence of God is tabernacling in humanity. What does this produce? Reverence and awe. Amen. Fear of the Lord. The presence of Israel's God is holy. Remember the angels say all the time in heaven, holy, holy, don't they? No, they don't. There's another holy. And the third holy matters. It really does. It's holy, holy, and to emphasize the fact, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. Holy, holy, holy. He is awe-inspiringly holy. And this is meant to directly, immediately remind the people of Uzzah from 2 Samuel 6 when David was recovering the Ark of the Covenant, which of course represents the presence of the Holy God of Israel. 2 Samuel 6, when they came to the threshing floor of Nakon, Uzzah reached out and took hold of the Ark of God because the oxen stumbled. The Lord's anger burned against Uzzah because the people were finding out what it meant to have the presence of the living God with them. Because of his irreverent act, God struck him down and he died there beside the ark of God. They are remembering Uzzah in this new iteration of the presence of a holy God. In humanity, his presence is special. It is holy, holy, holy. Remember, Moses took off his sandals in the presence of God. So, how keen is your sense of the holiness of God? When we come into his presence in a nonchalant manner in the 21st century, a lot of the time, certainly in a, in, in, in a, a less traditional setting like this in church, we're all pretty casual and we come into his presence. How keen is your appreciation? That the God we are worshipping is holy, holy, holy. If we were to go into a nuclear reactor, uh, I guess we would be suited up in appropriate clothing. When we come into the presence of the living God, we need to be suited up. Amen? That's why Paul says you need to be clothed in righteousness. You can't get so close to the living God unless you are protected and Scripture says, by faith, we are protected in the clothing of righteousness, which comes from Jesus. Amen? Clothe yourself in the righteousness of Christ. 
white clothes, pure clothes, because he is holy, but he can come close, and we can come close through the blood of Christ. My sense is that even though in the 21st century, irreverence in humanity looks like it doesn't get judged anymore. I'm not sure many of us have seen Ananias and Sapphira type stuff happening. It, it, it doesn't tend to happen. That, boom, irreverent. But would you agree that when we treat the holiness of God as an unholy thing, we treat him, the God who is creator, with irreverence, something happens in our soul. There is a declension of our conscience, of our morality, yes? It does affect you. Let me warn us to treat what is holy, holy, holy as something less than that will affect you as a human being. There will be a declension in not only us as individuals, but in society. That's what Romans 1 says. Uh, It happens. When society says certain things are okay, it will affect us in terrible ways. Acts 5.11 says... Great fear seized the whole church and all who heard about these events. We're thinking about what the presence of God does to a group of people. Did anyone walk in today feeling afraid of the presence of God? It's just an interesting thought. In the early church, they were like, what's going to happen here? we're, we're, we're We're the temple of the living God. Acts 2.42, Rob read it out for us. It produces this presence of God, incredibly deep spiritual friendship. That's what it does. If you didn't know it, Acts 2, 42 to 47 is like top shelf church. Top shelf, gold standard, that's what church is. Um, Acts 2, 42, they devoted themselves to the apostles teaching this early church and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. They gathered together, regularly, daily at times it says, and they learned, they studied the teachings of the apostles, what Jesus said about how to live. They shared communion and prayed probably the Lord's prayer that they were taught. Everyone, verse 3, was filled with awe of the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. It was expected the presence of God would see manifest amongst them power. That's what God does. He opens up Red Seas. Verse 44, all the believers were together and had everything in common in this early church. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Deep friendship brings solidarity, doesn't it? When, when you're in it together, it's like, oh, have you got a need? Oh, well, here's some. That was what they were doing. Uh, it was a, a wonderful thing. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. Worship was part of the rhythm of their life, as was fellowship. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favour of the people. This is in life, isn't it? In the homes. And this deep relational connection, both with each other and with the spirit of Jesus, produced a magnetic charismatic, catalytic power which caused multiplication. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. When you fill a bunch of people, and we get filled individually by the Spirit as we put faith in Christ, but you put a bunch of those people 
carrying the presence of God together, and you make them like Jesus over time, what is produced is potent. Amen? It it, it should be. It's filled with potential. When the church gets out of the way and stops doing stuff for their own glory, but it's like, God, have your way. We're going to do what the Scripture says. We're going to lift up Jesus and see you draw people unto yourself. What an exciting thing to be part of. Charles Spurgeon became a preacher when he was 16 and the the places he preached would have thousands of people and he said, you know what he used to say to preachers? If you preach like a man on fire for God, people will come from all around to watch you burn. I think that's true for the church, isn't it? When a church is truly on fire with the love and grace and holiness of God, it's catalytic. It's magnetic. It's certainly what happened in Acts 2. Learning and gospel and sharing and fellowship and prayer and rejoicing. And Acts 3 tells us this presence of the living God with the church, the new temple, guides people with supernatural insight and authority. That's what he does. It's awe-inspiringly holy. It produces incredibly deep spiritual friendship. And this presence guides people, the church, with supernatural insight and authority. Now, let me read one of the most amazing, coolest um, verses that are hidden in many of our memories. One day, Peter and John from chapter 3. They were going up to the temple at the time of prayer at three in the afternoon. Now a man who was lame from birth was being carried to the temple gate called Beautiful, where he was put every day to beg from those going into the temple courts. When he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money. Peter looked straight at him, as did John. Then Peter said, look at us. So the man gave them his attention expecting to get something from them. Then Peter said, Silver or gold I do not have, but what I have I give you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Walk. Taking him by the right hand, he helped him up, and instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. He jumped to his feet and began to walk. Then he went with them into the temple courts, walking and jumping and praising God. Some of you know that song, don't you? When all the people saw him walking and praising God, they recognized him as the same man who used to sit. I love those three words. Used to sit. Not anymore. Transformed by the power of the name of Jesus. He used to sit begging at the temple gate called Beautiful, and they were filled with wonder and amazement at what happened to him. Supernatural insight and authority. And I say insight because that's what's so important in this story. He's at the temple gate called Beautiful day after day. Surely they've seen him before. But there was a sense, walking with the Spirit, of leading, listening, being prompted, insight. And on this occasion, they were prompted by the Spirit whose presence is with them, not without effect. His presence is not without effect. And they say those classic words, silver and gold have I none, but what I have, what I have I give you. What I have. Do you know what they had? What I have, Peter and John say. What is it that they have? They have the gift of the Father. They have the presence of the Holy Spirit with them. 
and they have the authority of the name of Jesus because they are the church of Jesus. They are remembering Matthew 16, 19, when Jesus said to them, to Peter, I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. There is an authority in the name of Jesus, and there is faith to exercise that authority when we hear from the Lord when to act in it. Amen? Insight and authority. The lame man at the temple gate is completely and radically healed at the name of Jesus. What I have, I give you. Well, we have that too. We have that, I think. Do we? What I have, I give you. What we have, we give you. We have the same thing. I mean, honestly, I'm, I'm labouring the point a bit, but it's, it's, it's extraordinary. Extraordinary. I need to ask myself the question, I don't know if I believe that, Lord. Can we have the same as what they had in the first century? And then all these scriptures come to mind, I'm Jesus, same yesterday, today, tomorrow. I'm the same God, I'm unchanging. Jesus said, I've called you to do the works that I did. You're going to do amazing things. What I have, I give you. We have the authority of the king of the kingdom. The one whose name is Jesus, the name above every other name. And he, in fact, Colossians tells us he holds all the molecules of the universe together every second. And he says, I'm with you. I am with you. Ask of me, God says. I feel like God, as I gra grapple with this, as you do, with the word of God and who, what it is to be church in this next season, coming out of COVID, after the storm, Anyone feel like that's what it feels like? When, when, when the rain stopped the other day, it's probably coming back again, but when it stopped, I was like, Lord, what are you saying to us in the next season? Because we, if there's ever a time of solidarity in, in humanity, it's now. We've been through something extraordinary together, very unique. What are you saying to us? And part of what he's saying, I think, to me, and uh, it affects us as a church, if God speaks to me as a pastor here, I think he's saying... If you want to see the power the New Testament saw in the 21st century on the corner of College Crescent and Pretoria Parade, ask me. Repent and believe. Turn away from your sin. Pull down the high places. Tear down the idols. Don't steal the glory for yourself. Lift up Jesus and I will come and do a work that will astound you immeasurably more than all you ask or imagine. Ask of me. If you want, as I hope you do, to see people living in family generational pain that's been handed down generation to generation, if you want to see that chain connecting broken in the name of Jesus, ask me. If you want to see real life people cleansed in a way that they couldn't find cleansing any other way, healed from the destructive impact of sin, and bad choices and injustice perpetrated on them that they didn't ask for. If you want to see people repurposed, amen? I think that's a good way to describe it. To repurpose humanity. My life repurposed. I think God is saying, fear me with love and reverence and break up your unplowed ground. 
and I'll reign righteousness. His promise is still there. What we have, we give away. We need to appropriate what we have. It's all by grace. But the devil comes to steal, kill and destroy. He wants to steal the stuff we have so that we don't appreciate what we have. Pentecost has changed everything. The gift of the Father changes everything. Years ago in the 90s, I came across a church in the States called the Brooklyn Tabernacle. Anyone heard of the Brooklyn Tabernacle? Just a couple. They have an amazing choir. Look up the Brooklyn Tabernacle Choir. When it started, this choir, it was birthed out of a revival that happened in a very poor old church in Brooklyn, the Brooklyn Tabernacle in New York. And there was a young pastor that went to that church. His name was Jim Simbler and his wife Carol. They went to the church. He's very young. And uh, this is the book that he wrote. It was one of his first books. We ended up reading this at Caring Bar Baptist back when I was quite young as a pastor. And uh, we, we read it together as a church. And it was quite catalytic for encouraging faith. This and other aspects of the story tell the fact that God said to this young pastor, the health of Brooklyn Tabernacle will be based on your Tuesday night prayer meeting, not on the church. So they decided to make every effort to make the Tuesday night prayer meeting an emphasis. And at that Tuesday night prayer meeting, it wasn't like a typical Baptist prayer meeting where we'd probably sit around in circles. They had the choir. (laughs) And um, they were singing worship. It was a praise event. It was a worship event. And the church would pray for different needs and call on the name of the living God. And uh, hopefully if I mention that I was in tears the other day, I won't go to tears now. But I started reading... I could go there now so quickly. I started reading this book because I found it on the shelf. And I'm like, oh, you got me again. (laughs) These stories of transformation that Tony Hall loves to keep reading. And we should all read um, accounts of what God has done. And anyway, Jim Simbala, early on in the the early years, he tells a story of uh, a woman called Amalia who turned up to cut a long story short. She was 25 years old and had been through all sorts of abuse you can imagine in a very poor part of New York. Not treated well at home or by basically anyone else. And she spoke, she ran into a person, um, she was seeking hope from somewhere, ran into a person from church, they lined up an appointment with this young pastor. Six o'clock Tuesday night, they they get to meet and here I go again. Um, No, I'm not going to go there. She tells her story and, and he basically is in tears at the end, as I was in tears reading this story again in the office the other day. Um, but where it goes to, what I'm trying to get to, if I can, is he says Amalia had lived four lives. Oh, it's hard to do this. And, and each life was horrific. You can only imagine. And... He then says, Amalia, come down to the church prayer meeting. It's happening now. And so the church gets together, prays for her, and the story is she is radically transformed. Because the church comes together and is united in prayer that these chains would be broken. Now, if you're like me, you think it's more complex than that. Addiction normally doesn't go like that without weeds to pull out over time. 
But let's imagine that she did have some weeds to pull out. But there was a profound breakthrough that happened because the people of God called on the name that has been called on for thousands of years. The name of Yahweh, the name of Jesus. And I feel like I feel like God is saying to us, why don't you do that? And I say back to the Lord, we've done that heaps. It's not as though there's some silver bullet that we could go, oh, we haven't done it. Um, now we're going to actually really ask God to heal and transform. But um, in an effort to be responsive to the Spirit's prompting, we're going to commandeer Sunday night the 27th. And uh, Mel is, is stoked because she happens to be leading that night. <laughs> Um, we're going to have a worship night Sunday night and the invitation is out to say, bring your friends, bring people who want to see a breakthrough and we're going to work out a way with prayer cards or something to safely work out how the church can pray for needs. And we're going to believe because unless you step out and say, Lord, we believe, when are we ever going to see a breakthrough that's only something God could do? No one wants to say it's name it and claim it. No one wants to say anyone's getting rich quickly. It's not about that. It's not about telling God what to do. But it is about believing that what they had, we have. Amen. And there are people that God is bringing into our faith community who really need breakthroughs. I think most of us do, but sometimes people are more acutely aware, yes? And um, the other thing is that, like, I just feel like this is an academic exercise so often. We come to church and it's an academia thing. We, We learn about something that happened a long time ago. But most of us don't want that to be the case. We don't believe that's the case, but somehow we fall into that routine, As though, oh, that's a fantastic story. Well, I'm going to trudge on with my life. But we want to actually be a church that just asks and believes um, and gets out of the way. It's a John the Baptist ministry. It's not about anyone being up front, making it all happen. It's trying to let the Lord do his work. There was, in this early church, filled with the Spirit of God, there was awe-inspiring holiness, incredibly deep spiritual friendship, and supernatural insight and authority. And to finish, there was Zoe. You know Zoe. Greek pronunciation with a D, Zoe. There was the presence of God in the church which produces Zoe. You know when the first uh, Christians were named what they were, who they were? I think it's Acts 13, it says in Antioch they were first called Christians. But before that they were called something else. They were called the followers of the way. But before the way, there was a first name given to them. And that's what the name was. Those part of Zoe. And Zoe means life. And I think that's cool. It's from Acts 5. Then the high priest, verse 17, and all his associates who were members of the party of the Sadducees were filled with jealousy at these apostles. They arrested the apostles and put them in public jail. But during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the doors of the jail and brought them out. And this angel, who was given 
the responsibility to name the gathering, to name the new temple, this angel says, go stand in the temple courts and tell all the people about Zoe. So the first name for followers of Jesus for this motley new temple is life. Life. And it was pronounced by no less than an angel. If Jesus is your Lord and Saviour, Christianity is your life. Amen? It's, it's not an add-on. It's not, I've got my life. I've heard there's a nice little like add-on, bolt-on, Christianity. A little bit of religion on the side. A little bit, a little bit of... And of course, of course, you can't deny the fact that we fall into this in a busy Western world... My once-a-month attendance online at church. I'm not trying to be judgmental. I'm just saying it's weird because it's Zoe. It's life. And Hebrews says don't give up meeting together because you need each other to spur one another on. You need the manifestation of the gifts corporately to get stuff done in your life that you couldn't do by yourself. We need each other. It's a life. Zoe. And so I couldn't help but look at this Zoe and see a seven. In the Z, I'm, I'm being creative here, I know, but... And the seven reminds me of the rhythm of the life, because seven is perfection, seven is six days rest, six days work. <laughs> hey, <laughs> say the employers. Um, six days re- work, um, rest, work, rest, work, rest. L- life is rhythmic, isn't it? And seven is a wonderful reminder that Zoe is about rhythms. And I got to thinking, what's the most basic way you could describe this life? The NIV says this new life, but the Greek doesn't say it. It just says this life. New life is what it is. And I thought, for those who are Christians, breathe, eat, work, play, Zoe, is a way that I've been remembering the last week what I'm called to do. It starts with not doing anything, it starts with being. Breathe. So if you just became a Christian, the first thing you need to do is breathe. And as you breathe, remember, I'm alive. My stony heart is now flesh. My dead spirit, dead, is now alive. Yahweh. Ruach. Thank you. That's where it begins, isn't it? Christianity is, start right here. This is, I am in the presence of God and I am found perfectly okay in Christ before I do a thing. Breathe means oxygen. Breathe means rest and Sabbath. Breathe means physical and spiritual Breathe means exercise because this tabernacle, I know we have reasons why we we don't have so much health, but we're meant to look after it physically. So breathe for me means exercise. Breathe fast. (laughs) Have your lungs work well. Breathe means worship. This is the air I breathe. It is. It is. It's not just here waiting for the song. It's I'm alive. God, be praised with my life. Praise him, O my soul, I'm breathing. Stop and listen, breath says to me. 
Stop and hear your breathing and listen to the promptings of the Holy Spirit who is in you, the Master's voice. Breathe means grace. I have a smartwatch that every now and then tells me, breathe. Because it knows my oxygen levels. So when I'm stopped and I'm not breathing, it says, oi, breathe. Spend a minute deep breathing and increase your oxygen levels. And it says, ah, good, 98%. (laughs) I thought it's quite quaint, that thought, but it's true about Christianity. Are you breathing? Is your oxygen in Christ sufficient for you to do the works that he's called us to do? Breathe in grace. Breathe in blessing. Breathe out grace. Breathe out blessing. Breathe, eat. The early church ate food. Of course, we eat for our bodies and we should eat nutritional food, but it got me thinking, there's stuff to come into this life, isn't it? Soul food. Because I've got to feed the inner man, the inner woman. There's an inner life and the zoe needs nutrition. Soul food. Soul food is primarily this, isn't it? The word. But it's also a good sermon. It's a good book. It's time with others. It's nutrition. What are you feeding your soul? You're getting in a bit of a habit of junk food feeding your soul. We need to be fueled as the church in this Zoe. We need to eat with brothers and sisters. Amen? Because it's not just something spiritual over here that's nebulous. It's, it's real. It's coming together, breaking bread, having communion, and as well, having a nice beef ragu, just enjoying life together with people, eat, and enjoy fellowship. It's what the early church did. Zoe is breathe, eat, and work, work. From the Garden of Eden, humans were designed to produce, to work. The presence of God in the church inspires output with purpose. Amen? Think about your life, whether you're getting paid for what you do in life or not. God wants output with purpose. Purposeful output. Good works prepared in advance for us to do. What is the work of your Zoe now? Might not be the same as what it was last year. But now, in your work there will be witness to the glory of Jesus, to the reality of the resurrection. And it will happen sometimes with words, often with actions. We are to witness to his life, death and resurrection in our Zoe. There will be the work of suffering for his name. You won't escape it. That's work. Your work might involve you getting paid. Often it's not. Sometimes it's from sunup to sundown. Sometimes it's from sundown to sunup, depending how you work. But there are things to do while we are awake. Work is ministry and mission. It's part of providing for yourself and others when we are remunerated. It also gives us financial resources that we can harness for the kingdom. Work raises a family and cares for the aged. We are designed for work. And when we retire, it's busier, I'm told. More work. But you soon get paid. There's, there's work to be done. We, we, we don't retire in the kingdom, do we? Breathe, eat, work. Now, this one's a good one. Play. It rhymes with Zoe. It's what the presence of God produces. Breathe, eat, work, play. Play 
People forget that Jesus told a mean joke. What do you reckon that joke about plank eye was? It was a joke with a real barb. Take the speck out of your own eye, or the plank out of your own eye, then you can take the speck out of your brother's. They're going, oh, he means that. He knew how to play. Let me ask you an honest question. Where do you think play came from? Did the evil one come up with play? No way. He doesn't want us to play and be rejuvenated. In play, we recreate. Amen? That's what recreation means. We need to sanctify our play again in this zoe. The presence of God plays, enjoys life in its fullness. Play gives thanks, doesn't it? Think about it. Play gives thanks when it's the best play. Play connects people. Play renews and revives, brings joy and perspective. Anyone found that? It's not until you play again, you breathe, that you, ah, oh, that work makes sense. And you engage with creation often in play, giving glory to God. And I think play is where the church witnesses to Christ's death and resurrection as people enjoy God's creation and you point them to the one who did it all. Breathe, eat, work, play, Zoe. This life in Christ, knowing God through his spirit, if you didn't know it, it's incredible. Hallelujah. It is amazing. You may have been going through a hard patch where Christianity is sort of a bunch of rules and it's a church that doesn't feel so great, but that's the wrong thing. That's the season. You can come out of that. The true Zoe that Christ died to give us is full and abundant and amazing. It's incredible. There's nothing like it. That's why we witness. That's why we witness. So we need to dig into it together. It is awe-inspiringly holy when the presence of God is in the church and we become the church. It produces incredibly deep spiritual friendship guides people with supernatural insight and authority, and is so a. What a privilege it is to be the church. What a privilege it is. May we take hold of it with both hands, appreciating the fact that we're a bunch of sinners, we're broken, we mess up, but there's enough grace. There is enough grace. This life, this Zoe, is not just for Tom and Tabitha and Trent. Is it? It's for Ophelia and Michael and Melanie and Philip and Leanne and Marcus and Lindsay and Cody and Aaron. And a whole lot of names we don't know. But the more that we can get a hold of what we have, we give it away. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, get up and walk. Take hold of the life that God has given you. Lord God, we're going to sing a couple of songs together. Lord God, we thank you for this life. And would you have your way in us that we we might honestly, adequately gloriously reflect who you are. Amen.